0: In this episode, we talk about Swift or windows, side projects, and side projects of side projects, um, working in BTAS and with BTAS, and talking about R Max and the Apple event on September 15. This is Contravariance, a podcast about Apple, Swift, and other programming languages.
1: I think I have to reboot it. Your MacBook doesn't do what? It doesn't start apps anymore. Like when you tap them, they just jump in the Delk forever. They never stop jumping. Oh no. (laughs) I had a different
0: issue today where I was... So I'm I'm starting a side project um, and quote-unquote, obviously it's like a Mac Catalyst app, which has been very interesting. (laughs) Um, But it also supports iPad, right? So Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out if the simulator supports these pointer interactions, if you can check that. Mm-hmm. So I found a Depth of DC video, like mastering simulator. And they said like, oh, you can do this in this like top bar of the simulator. And to exit, simply press escape. Mm-hmm. Escape on a computer with a touch bar. <laughs> yeah, so I what happened, where... <laughs> I entered this mode and then my touch bar gave out and the only way to get back to my computer was to force reboot it nice that was a lot of fun I luckily couldn't reproduce it, so hopefully it won't come back. But <laughs> that's nice. So far, I was for trying, like I was trying, like Command Q, like close, whatever. And so I was like, oh, you want to close this app on the iPad?
1: We'll do that for you. <laughs> nice. Hot hot tip for these circumstances. I usually have, especially when I'm at home. It's easier because my mini can't leave my home, right? It's always here. I always have SSH open. So in case I end up in a situation where something is acting up weird and I can't get out of an app or whatever, um, I SSH into the Machine and kill the process. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, mean, I think I have these circumstances too often, to be honest.
0: <laughs> no, it hasn't really happened to me. Like normally, I would have a keyboard that doesn't have an escape, or at least like a separate keyboard. But I didn't really have that here.
1: Mm, uh, yeah, but yeah. you might also have a full screen app that is um, has a beach ball and doesn't stop, and it it takes all the inputs, and you can't do anything. That right. also happened to me. Okay. Well. Yeah, <laughs> but interesting um well, how do you like well, how do you like catalyst
0: um well so like i find it a lot of fun to like build one app for both platforms um but i was i was tweeting about this today right so we're recording this on september 25 and like catalyst it has has had a lot of updates of, or like ios 14 has had a lot of updates And the version of Mac Catalyst is also like 14.0, but Apple apparently removed like the Big Sur uh, support from the, from, from Xcode 12 Uh, and now I'm not on Big Sur anyway, but what basically, what it basically means is like all these new features on iOS 14, I can build the app fine on iOS and it runs. But once I build it for Mac OS, it's like, Hey, this is all not available right um, I, th- I think you need 12.2 it works in there but yeah and you need pixar which i don't right, have yet right right yeah but like that's tricky because like th- this is a thing right you have two environments like you have mac and you have uh, ios and you have to build them separately to figure out like does my project still work so mm. you kind of have to switch back and forth quite often mm. um <laughs> because there's weird like or like <laughs> Interesting differences. So, like, I'm using a lot of this new uh, UI menu stuff, which is also bridged to to macOS. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, a UI menu on iOS does not need a title, so it is nil by default. But on macOS, it does. The weird thing is, on macOS, I can't even get this title to show up. But apparently, Mm -hmm. this function or this initializer does require the title to be non-optional, which is like confusing because, like, I was expecting it to be iOS is bridged to the Mac, but it's really like it's the case, but it's also completely different still.
1: Hmm. Are you um, using UI document? Uh, No, and I won't be. Yeah, that's a smart smart thing not to do. (laughs) So so I think. Um, in general, like for, for a simple app, I think Catalyst works quite quite well. But the, the issues, like the endless stream of issues that I had with HyperDeck was that I'm using a lot of more complex features like UI document, like um, keyboard shortcuts, menus, um, all the fancy collection view stuff with UI. And there's so many things that work on iOS and a little bit different on macOS and change with every release that it makes testing really hard. Like, um, when I do a change, I have to check it first on MacOS, then make sure it also works on iOS. Um, and then there's a new Apple update, then I have to go through my list again of things that behaved weird before where I found workarounds, but now maybe my workaround works differently. Just, um, yesterday so I couldn't work on it for one month roughly because Xcode 12 the latest beta uh, it had this issue where Catalyst apps didn't run you would just get an error message and so basically I couldn't work on that and the, the iPad version of Hyperdeck is basically done but I can't really release that because I want to first finish the macOS support and then go back to iOS and see what has broken? Because whenever I do a change on macOS, the chances are high that something on iOS breaks because of Catalyst. Um, and so yesterday I looked into that, and now thankfully with beta two. Um, this is working again, and I have popovers on macOS. And the way I had used the popovers, um, I wanted to use it with a UI tool, with a with the toolbar, um, the NS toolbar that sits on the window. Mm, But you can't do that. That's not supported by Catalyst. And so the way I'm doing that is basically I have hidden UI views. And so the popover basically is delegated to use this hidden UI view as the reference, as the source view. So it has something to go to because it can't use the toolbar button because that's an NS button. And the NS button doesn't work as a source view with the popover. So basically, I have um, hidden UI views that work for the popover, that worked in the past. and But now is a new um, update that I tried it didn't work anymore what happened was my popo would display but it would not be connected to any source view. it would just float in space and um, it took me like two hours to figure out that it didn't work because my my hidden UI view that was the Seuss view was a UI view that didn't work anymore. You need a UI button. Once you have a UI button, the popover is properly attached again. So there's an optimization of some sort, I guess. But it's these kind of things that are not documented, that are weird behaviors that you have to go through and figure out that takes up a lot of time with Catalyst.
0: (sighs) Yeah. I mean, similarly to what you said, right? It's like I'm trying to optimize then, like now for Mac, but then I have to verify that it still works on iOS. And like for me, it's like, I'm kind of switching back and forth. It's like, I'm a Mac OS, I'll do something on macOS. see what it looks like on iOS, do something on iOS, see what it looks like on Mac OS. But yeah, that's definitely a big part of, of that as well.
1: Mm. It also takes and a lot what, of what time. what has been
0: interesting for me now is like, designing for the Mac is very different, right? Like, mm. it looks great on iPad, but like now I have these buttons and they feel small and they feel iOS-like, right? Mm. And I have to still figure out of like, okay, What, what, what is this really doing? And like, is that something that I've seen elsewhere on the Mac and then like get some inspiration from there?
1: If you, if you were running Catalyst, you could obviously change that flag, which basically doesn't scale it down, but uses native Mac elements for everything. Uh, that is really nice. I'm not using that because my UI is so custom, um, specifically for iOS, that it looks weird if I enable this flag. But if you just use custom uh, default elements, I think that's the better way to go for you, except you need Bixer. Right, exactly. Because again, I was looking for that. And it was like,
0: oh, they were mentioning it in this WWDC video, but it's nowhere to be found.
1: <laughs> so yeah. To be fair, Big, Big Sur works fairly nice for me. I've been running the beta since beta 1 as my main system. Um, and I didn't really have many problems. So in general, it, it worked very well.
0: I mean, I mentioned this uh, in the last podcast uh, that I'm leaving Sing, right? Mm-hmm. So I have a little bit of a gap before I start uh, my next job, and I guess that will give me enough safety to say, like, you know, I can just install Big Sur, mm-hmm. um and play around with it. So mm-hmm. that would be that should be fun.
1: Yeah. Are you um, using SwiftUI in your
0: project? Uh, it's completely ui kit based uh, using the new ui mm. collection view apis okay maybe you know if i add some widgets want- there might be some some swift ui but like for now i'm not too tempted like i actually wanted to like the the goal of that project was to play around with the new ui collection view
1: apis and mm. those are not okay. there on on swift ui okay um, do you want to talk a bit further about what the project is doing or is it something you you want to save for later
0: Oh, no, no, no. Like, uh, so it's a, it's basically a project that tries to build an iOS app for uh, GitHub projects. So it's this like board like Jira like overview uh, with like columns and cards. So that's that's what I'm trying to build. Um, mm-hmm. You know, using the new sidebar, split view, all mm-hmm. the new like uh, like buttons with closures, et cetera. Uh, and and let's see what else I'll I'll run into. But I try to like, yeah, have this focus on on learning about new things. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm excited about it. I'll just see how far I can get and, and see what I want to do
1: with it. That sounds really interesting. Sounds also like a useful lab to have.
0: Yeah, I don't know, like um, like I haven't connected anything to to the internet yet, right? So I'm mm-hmm. not really using the GitHub APIs yet. Um. But I was thinking to go with the REST APIs because, mm. as far as I like, uh, with with GitHub we were using GraphQL, which is great. Um, but then we ran into an issue trying to add support for enterprise because then yeah. like you need to support multiple versions, and with GraphQL you need like these these files, right, that mm. tell you what the scheme looks like. So I wanted to go with REST, um, and from like looking at the documentation, it feels a little awkward to. Do this with REST calls because you have to do quite a few calls. Um, Mm -hmm. Because basically, for you can say like, "Give me all the columns," Um, but then you can say per column, you can say, "Give me all the cards in this column." But it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like you can say, "Give me all the cards in this board in this Mm -hmm. project." So you would have to do like one REST call per column, which feels a little wonky. But like maybe I'm wrong, right? Like I haven't tried it yet.
1: I used to play with the GitHub API in the past, doing something different, and I had a similar feeling. But it's also something that many REST APIs have, right? where you have, for each resource, you have one endpoint and basically, in order to get all the data you need, you do a lot of requests. And then that just adds up. And usually, if you have um, an async framework, for example, it, it's kind of easy because you or if you have a, a nice way of composing your request, then it's actually quite easy, but you're still pulling off a lot of requests to the server, which is tricky if your server has a rate limit where you let's say you have 1,000 or 5,000 per hour, um, then that becomes a bit tricky if you need a lot of requests just for a basic set of data.
0: Yeah, so that would be one. And just to mention that like this API is still in preview. Mm. So like maybe I can actually give some feedback, you know, if I figure out if it, you know, if it can be done differently. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we when we get mm. to it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Sounds like an interesting project, especially um a lot of interesting learnings because you could also you can also look uh, look into networking, see if you just want to use URL session or maybe an abstraction on top of that, um like an existing GitHub library. Very cool.
0: Right. I don't know, like I w what, what I'm trying to do is like I, I mean it's not that I don't want to have any dependencies, but I wanna do like, you know, plain Swift UI or plain UI kits or you know, playing networking like unless I really mm-hmm. need something, uh, I will go that route. Um, what I was actually doing and trying to do is like, I want this view controller of this board, like that's kind of like, or if this project is like, I can add that to any app, right? So I wanted to build that as a package. So I was trying out this with package manager, but then it seems to be really tricky to have a Git repository for a package but then work on it locally. So now I'm just adding a local package and was like, I can split it later.
1: I think you can do that. But I also remember it was tricky. I think with with Xcode, you have to clone it, um, and then drag and drop the folder into Xcode. And it's not really documented anywhere. And then somehow magically, Xcode understands that, what you have referenced in your package project is the same as that local folder somehow, and then it uses that. It, I used it before, and it was weird. There, I, I, there's not a good UI for that. It's just a lot of secret knowledge you need to have in order to get that going.
0: Yeah, I saw that same blog post, and I was considering it. But at that point, it was like, if I want to go that route, I'll just use Cocoa Pots And like I can still make it a Swift package later, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. it can be both. Um, but now I just do it with a local Swift package, which, which also works.
1: Yeah, I the, the, I guess that totally makes sense. It's also interesting that we are still um, using like different package managers um, on iOS because we are still kind of waiting for... I mean, the, the, the Swift package manager supported in Xcode is much better than it was a couple of years ago. But I still feel like there is... Um, that there are more possibilities it, it could it could be much more in the future and i'm hopeful that will happen
0: yeah it has definitely like gotten a bunch of support for new things because i think in the past it didn't even support like mac catalysts in a way mm. but now you can say like okay this package supports ios and mac os etc so but i mm. think in a bigger project you'll probably run into some like challenges but yeah I mean, we don't need multiple, right? We can use something like CocoaPods, but it would be great if we get some uh, gets even even more maturity into the, the package manager, so that you can really use it for iOS apps. I f- it feels right. like it's a great tool for for web uh, web development with Swift, um, but not so much yet for iOS.
1: Um, talking about um, using it for iOS, you can also use it for Windows now. Uh, did you see that, Buzz? You can now use the Swift for Windows support made another huge upgrade. You can actually build simple um, graphical user interface apps.
0: Yeah, so um, I I did see that um, because it was included in the latest Swift Weekly Brief, um, which I'm. That project is, is something I'm going to leave behind, by the way, which I tweeted about yesterday, I think. Um, but yeah, that's that's super exciting. I know that that it's been uh, you know that people have been working on it pretty uh, pretty hard for, for quite a while, um, and seeing it make these next steps is is really exciting.
1: Hmm. I also think it's very important because it's easy to forget how many people have Windows computers and not Mac computers that would like that are maybe interested into Swift and uh, in, in getting into Swift, especially because you can get a Windows machine much cheaper than a Mac, and especially if you're like you're living in a developed country, for example, or many, many other things. Um a Windows machine is much cheaper, but you can use Swift, but it really becomes much more useful if you can actually build out of the box, with very little friction, um, desktop apps, where you can actually start playing around with an app, build something that you want, and then all that would, all what you've learned, you can later on hopefully apply to, for example, building an iOS or a Mac app once you once you become more versed in it. So it, it's it's a huge amount of potential developers and people that might become interested if you have full and working Windows support. I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, I mean, and separately, people can
0: build stuff for windows, right? Like right, you don't necessarily right. have to make that step or like switch to to Mac later. No, um, but, can but, but they
1: do things for windows as well. Sure, but I think the the jobs will remain for some time being in the mostly in the iOS area if you want to get paid right Swift for now. So it, it's easy for people to start on windows, but I don't see companies starting profit commercial windows applications in Swift because you have C# Sharp from Microsoft that is um, very good uh, with fantastic libraries so that and completely made for windows so that's probably what you would prefer Um, but you can start with swift out of the box without having to buy a mac which is cool
0: so you mentioned that you can build ui on windows but obviously we don't have or assumably we don't have ui
1: kit ported just yet Uh, so how does that work So, there's a a UI framework for Windows. It's called Swift Win32. And it's by Salim Abdurrasul. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. It's CompNerd on Twitter. And he's been working on that. And it has some example applications where you can see how it works. It's using the um, Win32 API, I think. Um, I think it's. Yeah, I don't know much about Windows development, to be honest. So, uh, But it looks like so. I do have a Windows computer. I use it to play games from time to time. I have to go into the preferences. And it looks like a Windows app would look. So it looks very native. Um, So that's cool. So you can actually build apps on Windows with a UI framework. I'm not sure how much is supported of what Windows has to offer and so on. But it's there, and I guess it's being worked on. The last commit was two days ago, as of today. So that's really impressive. That's a lot of fun,
0: yeah. Salim has been really active and basically been like the uh, the main contributor, as far as I know, to to Swift on Windows. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and seeing that he that he also has been working on a UI framework, like that's that's amazing. That's yeah,
1: really cool. It's really incredible. It's also I feel um, a important step. Towards um, making Swift much more useful. So, in I, um, in the past two weeks, I started on a small side project. So, a side side project basically, and um, that is a GUI app, um, a desktop application that should work on all operating systems. Because in terms of what it does, it would make sense to have it on all operating systems. Um, so, I wanted to run on Unix, also Linux, and on Windows and on macOS. Um, And so I looked into that, and there is, for Swift, not really one UI library you can use that has all the stuff that you want, like um, labels and text fields and input fields and checkboxes and uh, scroll views and so on. Um, And looks good and works natively on all platforms. And so I went with Rust for that because there is one. I have to admit, it it was troublesome. Um, So because if you're used to Swift UI, that is leaks ahead of, the other native libraries that I've played around with. Um, But on the other end, this one works on all platforms. And now, if we get something like that for Swift, a library that is, it doesn't need to be Swift UI, but it could still use the functional builder approach um, that allows you to target all the platforms with a very nice way of building UI. And then in the background, it uses for Windows this one, Swift Win32. And on iOS or on Mac OS, obviously, it uses Coco. And on Linux, it could use GTK. And then you would have one library, and you're able to target all desktops. That's really, really good. Because for desktop applications, I feel that Swift is still the best language that is out there compared to what is available of course you went for rust <laughs> well be- because there wasn't much choice in Swiftland, but I would have preferred Swift for the UI if they were a good library right I mean there's actually
0: also you you mentioned function builders um, they're actually uh, being renamed to result
1: builders. So oh really the more you know. Right. I um, I, looked in, I looked into the thread and I think I, I saw a discussion about that and then went out again.
0: Yeah, so there's a like there's as the time of this recording, there's a, a review running that uh, part, as part of the changes also updates the name.. Hmm. Um, you mentioned like Linux and Mac OS and Windows. like we don't have any UI frameworks on Linux for Swift, right Right.
1: Well, no, not not entirely. So there is um, a, so for Linux, you have a huge variety of um, user interface framework, pre-existing ones, obviously, because they also have UI, right? And the the two most well-known are called Qt um, and GTK. And there is a set of bindings that allows you to use GTK from Swift, which is not that difficult because GTK is a C-based library. And Swift has this great um, interface to C libraries, uh, the Swift package manager in particular, that makes it really easy to do that. Um, Whereas Qt doesn't have that. It's written in C++. And if you would want to bind that to Swift, that's much more work. Um, So there is an existing library that uses GTK. And just like the one we, uh, the, the Swift one we just talked about, it's basically using Win32, which is Microsoft's official UI library. So there would be support um, to use to build Swift um, user interface apps. Actually, when Swift was open sourced, I built one out of curiosity that, that ran on Linux that was written in Swift. The problem is you don't have one library that targets them all. You would basically need to write three apps that target three different user interface architectures have different models, different con- ways of controlling them. Um, so you can't reuse the code. And also, they have different levels of implementation. So let's say in the one you can use that you, you have a scroll view, and in the other you, you don't stuff like that, because stuff stuff is missing. There's not one solution.
0: Right? Yeah, that sounds tricky. I mean, I guess you could share all your foundation code. Although foundation i think is also not completely implemented on linux
1: and i don't know about windows so yeah so that that used to be the case and i i haven't tried it for a long time because usually now when i need to target linux i use rust but i recently read that it's much better now um the most of foundation is working fine there are a couple of edge cases for things that you would not use on linux anyway because it's around run loops and so on, um, or more around how um, how you would use Cocoa. Um, so in general, I think it's supposed to be really good. Um, okay. the, be, because also, it's based on server development, right? If you want to write a server app, it mostly has to run on Linux. Um, and the, there are lots of people working on server development for Swift. So I think that is good now, but I don't know. That's
0: cool. So.
1: We recording this on September
0: 25 um, about 10 days ago not about 10 days ago it was September the 15th um, and we had an Apple event again right we had an Apple event so we had we saw the introduction of new iPads as well as the Apple watch series six and the Apple watch uh, se
1: Um, what were your first impressions what are your thoughts so for that particular um, event, we also had a team event where we went and had burgers and so on and had beer. And um, because the team event had been planned in advance, we couldn't really shift it around. So we did that. Um, and I brought the iPad. There was wireless. And so we turned on the iPad, enabled subtitles or captions, and, and basically didn't listen really to it, just watched it while we were also having a chat. So it I wasn't the most focused during the event. Um, but I was also not particularly interested, to be honest, because I, I'm not looking in, on to have a new watch. I'm still happy with my Series 4. Um, I have way too many iPads already, so I, I'm not interested in, uh, in another iPad right now. I, I might be interested in new iPad Pros and then sell my current one, but, but that depends on what they are, what they are like. Um, I'm not interested in the the bundle uh, because none of like I use Spotify, so I don't. I'm not interested in Apple Music. Um, Netflix already has too much content for me. The games I play, I play on Windows. I don't need Apple Arcade, so there's not really anything for me in there. So from the stuff they presented, there's very little that was interested in. I was most interested in the performance of the processor in the new iPad Air. Um, because that might add up in future max in faster, probably. So that was, for me, the most interesting thing out of that. The rest, or oh, the fitness thing is also not for me. I do a lot of sports, but I wouldn't do that. I have a gym I attend. So,
0: right, yeah. So you mentioned closed captions, uh, and I think the way that Apple is now pre-recording these events uh, is fantastic for accessibility, because what you get is closed captions out of the box, right? No transcriptions, it's not delayed or whatever. Um, as well as immediately after the event, they release the videos uh, and they also release a video with a sign language uh, interpreter. So that's that's amazing, right? Like that would normally take a lot longer to, to have that available. I'm not even sure if they did that in the past with the sign language. Um, so that's a great improvement. Uh, yeah, that's like a, a great win, basically, from
1: from having to pre-record things. Um, that is the really cool, honestly. So um, there, there's a, a lot of interesting stuff that changed. So there, there's a lot of bad things about the Corona situation, but in terms of making it more accessible, um, that's that's nice. Yeah. So
0: apart from that. Um, I have, I think we've talked about this in the podcast before, right? Like I haven't really bought anything or or upgraded any of my products in like the last few years. Like I'm still happy with my iPhone. I'm still happy enough with my Mac. Um, Like I have an iPad that I used to not use really. Although Mm. lately I've been using it more. Um, But I don't feel like I need anything new. Um, and then the Apple watch is something that I've been like on the fence about for years. So I had the original Apple watch and I used it a lot and I loved it a lot. It was great. Um, but I started having some issues with it. And in the end, I basically like got a bit fed up with it, got into mechanical watches, although that's a separate story. Uh, and then like. Uh, ended up selling it to a friend that was really looking for an Apple Watch. Mm. Um, but I really loved the, the the fitness, right? The closing of your rings. Mm. So ever since then, I've been thinking about it, but I've basically been holding off because what I would love to do is to have a watch with cellular connectivity, but that mm. is not available for Dutch carriers. Mm. Um, so I still have a Dutch, Dutch phone number maybe i'll finally either cave and just get a normal apple watch or i'll get like a second phone number i'm not sure how easy that is you have this this like option to have like
1: an eSIM, right right i think that works in all countries but i'm not entirely sure and it definitely doesn't work on all devices so only on the newer iphones but but i'm limited in, in knowledge but yeah you can basically yeah, i so think you can just go in and you can even from the device you can buy a sim
0: yeah so that's something to figure out because then i would probably get a like a second sim that is not dutch right that Mm. does support the apple watch Mm. and then i'm also not really sure how that works because i'm not really interested in having that for the iphone i kind of want it only for the watch although if i have a second number and i want to be reachable on the watch then
1: i should probably also have it on the phone right and you should also make sure that the sim works with the watch and then you need to look up how it works with the watch because i remember that I had the but the watch was um, was cellular, and I think the number was limited to Germany. Like out of Germany, it doesn't work. The watch doesn't can't be you can't use the calls for uh, from the watch or something. It's very confusing, so um, I didn't really use it that much. It's much more made for the USA, where you have one big country and you hardly go anywhere else um but if you like within when europe where like every every second day basically you could, you could be in a separate country if you live close to the border it's rather tricky
0: yeah so i guess i'll have some research to do um but i might end up like getting an apple watch because i want to like get more into you know um doing activities mm-hmm. closing my rings i think that would be would be mm-hmm. fun and would be would be good Um, It would be a little awkward because I would be like wearing two watches. Um, But the fact that I, uh, and I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast yet, but the fact that I'm now living in Ireland, another wet country, um, you know, I will probably be wearing long sleeves most of the time anyway. Mm, Yeah. And I don't see a problem with wearing two watches, especially if they're on separate arms. It's just, I don't know. Like, it's not a problem. Like, I wouldn't care, right? Like, it just... You know, you might get the look sometimes, and that's fine. It's Mm. just like, yeah, I don't know.
1: I don't know. It's a little weird. It's a little out of the ordinary, at least. Um, Briefly, regarding the watch, the one thing I forgot that I am a bit excited about is the new braided solo loop. I really like the look of that. And I'm tempted to buy that band. Um, Still have to look a bit into it. But I really like how it looks.
0: Yeah, so a friend of mine, uh, Cesar, he was tweeting yesterday, I think, that he uh, that he wanted it as well just for his, for his current watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but you should definitely, if possible, go to an Apple store mm-hmm. um, because with the configurator or whatever he used, I think they, they recommended like a 6, whatever mm-hmm. that size is, and then he went to the store and then the best fit was like a 4. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least they were different. So, yeah, if you can do that. Uh, it's probably probably
1: recommend it. Yeah, I think I would go to the store and just buy it there. So for something that I have to fit on and to try, it's much easier. Um, yeah. I really yeah. like. I like.
0: <clears throat> I would be interested in seeing how they fit, like what they're like, how comfortable they are. But I really, really, really love this idea, right? Like, I'm I'm a lover of watches, and like I've never like we've never seen this before, right? Mm. And it's such. You know, I think like, like all great ideas, it's such a simple idea mm. um, that, yeah, that, that just makes me excited. Um, and then separately, especially also as a watch nerd, and then I said this a while ago on Twitter as well, uh, people were sharing their watch faces and I'm like, especially with the new Apple Watch again, like, I'm just interested in like learning, like, how do they design the watch faces? Um, what are they doing? What are they not doing? um and just to like get inspired by that, and just you know geek out over that, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, other than that, there is supposedly one or two additional events coming, right? So there's the iPhone event where the new iPhones will be announced, and then hopefully there's also a Mac event because they're going to announce their uh, um, new. ARM-based Mac and maybe updates to, I don't know, maybe updates to the Mac Pro or updates to the iMac Pro or something like that, I'm not sure. Um, I'm, and probably the release of Pixar. Sur. Um, and I'm much more excited, to be honest, about uh, about the Mac changes in Apple's hardware than I am about the iPad changes.
0: Right, so what are you looking forward to in the Mac? Well, just- Apart from ARM.
1: <laughs> So, so obviously ARM plays into it because the interesting part is that um, what I'm currently unhappy with is the speed of my Mac Mini. So I do have Mac Mini Max from 2018, maximum configuration, and I'm not particularly happy with the performance. It's the best you can buy if you don't if you're not buying a Mac Pro. Um, and the processors in the Mac Pro are also not the fastest you can find. Um, well, if you buy like the 50,000 beast, um, then they are very, they have very fast multi performance, but I do have a gaming computer here that has a Ryzen processor and everything is much faster. That also feature meets much faster. And I have a really good GPU there, which I also don't have in my Mac mini because it doesn't have a GPU. And so I would love to see a faster computer, like a Mac that is really fast and doesn't cost me two Teslas. Um, That would be (laughs) That's a great way to measure. Yeah, so that's something I'm interested in. And I'm kind of hopeful that the new processors are pretty fast Um, and probably not the first one. So they will probably release, I imagine it will be like a a MacBook 12-inch replacement, Um, but it will probably, I hope that it will be, Still be fast and maybe even have a touchscreen. I'm not entirely sure about that. I'm, that's just hope speaking. Um, but but what I saw is that uh, like when I when I want to go somewhere or go to a place and. Um, I usually lock my iPad around, but I can't do much with the iPad. Like When I look at my computer right now, half the apps I have open, and those are apps that stay open for weeks, um, are things that don't run on an iPad. Like I have Chrome, which you have for the iPad, but it doesn't use the Chrome engine, so it's incompatible with a couple of websites, like the Cast engine we are just using right now. Then I have Terminal, another Terminal, Xcode, Um, then I have um, Visual Studio Code, um, and then I have a music app that you also don't have on the iPad, and and so like half the stuff I use during the day I don't have on the iPad, and I also the way I use um, I use browser windows doesn't work on the iPad. Like I always have like that sounds weird, but I always have like 50 windows open and they overlap, and I I really that's the way I work best. I just have overlapping windows with. Limited information for each of them. But on the iPad, you can only have two open at the same time. And even that is takes like 20 seconds to arrange and not like a well, second. That's not actually true anymore. Because in
0: uh, with iOS 13, you can have multiple windows, right? So you can actually open multiple windows of, of Safari. Yeah, but you can't have them visible at the same time. No, that is true. You yeah. can't like overlap and stack like on the Mac. Yeah, that's what I have. I mean, I, I do I mean, have. You can. You ha- you have this overview view, right? So you can have an overview of everything.
1: But yeah, yeah, but that does say I have an e- I have an editor open. Let's say Visual Studio Code, and then have three different Safari windows. Each of them has a separate gist of. Code or documentation, and all that information together helps me write the code in the editor. So I want to have the editor visible. I want to have these three windows visible, and then maybe I also want to have iChat visible next to that, so I can quickly see if somebody's writing something. So that's and maybe terminal because there's a process running, and I have that in the, be, in, the in the lower right, so that I can see what's happening right now in the terminal from the code that I'm writing. That's impossible on iPad. Like I can have two. Yeah. It totally is impossible. If if it like if I would try to do that with the limitations, everything takes forever because you have to drag and swipe and hold and wait and on the Mac it just works
0: right no 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 you, you, yeah that would definitely be tricky but it also sounds like what you're wanting from that kind of iPad that
1: supports that is like a screen that is not 12 inch (laughs) right of course i mean uh, but there is a big ipad right i do have the uh, the the big one here and i mean there's a limit to what you can put on that but i would also i would also be able to to pull off something similar to what i just described on a macbook pro um and so yeah i I think that's just with smaller windows maybe
0: yeah let's see that will be uh like that I that gives me a throwback. We talked about this with mm. the Dexat. Uh, right. sorry, not Dexat, hyper deck. Right. Where it's like this very smallest like setting and like figuring out what you can even still see on the screen. You'll you're gonna have fun.
1: Mm. <laughs> right. So um, yeah, that's um... That's my current hoping that there will be a fantastic Mac. And something I'm really looking forward to with the new Macs is that the ARM Macs run iPad apps. Uh, be- because that is the one thing that I, that's, I'm missing here. I want to run Netflix. I want to run a couple of apps that are only on iPad. And um, if there is a Mac that allows me to run these apps natively, I have much less use for an iPad, to be honest. Yeah, just one caveat
0: there is, like, you can disable that as developers. Right. developer. So. Right it's it's you know to be seen which which apps will also make the switch to support arm max because you know what will you be supporting what what can you do ios macos macos arm um, tvos watchos
1: like it's a lot Right, that, that's certainly true. I mean, with uh, there aren't also that many apps. But for Netflix, for example, I would be happy with the stand with the default behavior without any built-in with uh, of Catalyst or macOS support, just so I can watch videos. <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, but also it, that you know, if we just look at Mac Catalyst,
0: like it's not that easy to you know. Oh yeah, sure, it would be great to just have these features, but it's not. Maybe not so easy to actually just have these features on those platforms.
1: Right. I mean, uh, the it could be that the iPad version of uh, the macOS version, or that you can just that's auto-generated, basically of Netflix doesn't work by default because they are doing lots of smart things with uh, encryption that would not work within the Catalyst umbrella that Apple provides. And so, if that's the case, that's a pity. And I don't think they will invest a huge amount of time into that. But who knows? Fingers crossed. Yeah,
0: I think that about wraps up the
1: episode. Yeah, I have one question left, and that is, you mentioned um, that you will leave the Swift Briefly newsletter. Um, do you or are you looking for somebody to take it over? Right. The, so
0: yeah, so I'll we'll be moving away from the Swift Weekly Brief newsletter. Um, I am fortunate enough to, you know, have had great support. Uh, from Kristaps, uh, and Kristaps is is expecting to to take over the project, nice, uh, which I'm really excited about because when I took this over from Jesse, um, the reason I did that was because I wanted to keep in the loop myself, mm-hmm. and I wanted to take this opportunity to you know keep all all other people in the loop. Like at the moment, it's more than than ten thousand, mm-hmm. and it's just. You know super satisfying and super it it gives me a great feeling to be able to do that Mm -hmm. um and yeah when i announced yesterday that i'm that i'm uh leaving the project like some people were like oh no like it's gone right like that's awful and it's like well we hope that you know the community will pick this up um and that's that's what i'm hoping for is that the, that it will be a little more fractured where you know Christophs might be leading the project but maybe there's some more uh, writers and some more contributors to, to the project that sounds good i'm hopeful that it will continue yeah so it will continue um, some some things to figure out but yeah that's that's definitely a thing nice okay i think that was that was
1: an episode it was an episode another episode <laughs> so right another episode so s- thanks everybody for listening and I uh, hear you again next week Buzz alright bye bye bye
0: Benedict I yes. sent you a package it's on, on on the way to your place
1: really I did yes I'm excited. I like surprises.
0: I, I wonder what it is. I think it was somewhere at the beginning of the week. I don't even know what I asked. I like asked you in one of your, <laughs> one of the meetings we had. I'm like like do you like surprises or like I didn't know what it was, but I basically hinted at it and it's it's on the way now.
1: Oh, wow. I'm already grateful, but um I will be much more grateful when I when it arrives, I guess. I like surprises. Let's see what it is. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I like surprising people, and yeah, so I was uh, I was here in in Ireland. Uh, I saw something, and I basically couldn't pass it up. I was like, okay. that has to has to be bought and sent to Benedict and Heike.
1: So, looking forward to it. Um, you know that I had uh, a couple of days of this week, right? I had to move some days around, and so I only worked two days this week. And I realized something really important that I want to share with you. I think a two day work week is the perfect balance between work life and private life. Totally. <laughs> I'm very happy with this. I, <laughs> I want to keep this.
0: I'm not so sure, sure if that really works as a manager.
1: <laughs> uh, life just, decisions. Just that haunt here. You. Not sure why. But. <laughs> life decisions that haunt you. Um, Yeah, it was incredible. I started on a new music uh, track. You know that from time to time I do music and I started on a new Mm. track. So we can use that for a contravariance at some point, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I'm not sure if it's any good yet, but it it, it was very fun. Uh, My my, Synthesizer was all dusty. I picked it up, I had to clean (laughs) it, I had to download drivers, uh, (laughs) stuff like that. Ah, that sounds fun. That sounds like a good, you know,
0: Good way to like do something very different in your
1: your spare time. Yeah, that was nice. I also worked on HyperDeck, um, but the interesting part is that so I had three projects. I had that Rust thing that I'm working on, uh, and then HyperDeck, and then um, the music. And usually when I when I work on something, let's say just on HyperDeck, I work for like one hour, and then I need a distraction, um, and then I do do some surfing. Now what I do is whenever I need a distraction, I switch projects. And then I work on that, like on music for example, I'm bored of that, and then I go to the Rust project. Once I run into something I can't solve because Rust is a hell, is a beast, I go back to Hyperdeck, and so I switch around. It's, it's great. I love it.
0: I mean if it works. <laughs> Funnily enough though, uh, you know, you mentioned like a two-day work week is great. I was actually Like I started this side project um, yesterday actually, and I think I went to bed at like 1.30. Hmm. So this is what happens to me with side projects when i'm really excited so i was actually wondering like actually saying to myself like i should stop (laughs) at five right and have Mm. some time to myself and i kind of forgot about our podcast recording or like it was in the back of my mind was like five i I'm like oh that's six that's probably what you meant with six because Mm. you know you 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 you're an hour ahead uh and i was like oh that's perfect i have a reason to to switch to the next thing Um, And yeah, I was also planning to take the weekends off uh, on the side project, especially Mm. during, you know, the time that I'm in between jobs. I'm like,
1: I can work on this seven days a week, but maybe that's not the best idea. Mm. I I did that for hypertech for a long time so basically i worked on that almost every day like before work after work um fridays and the weekend and at some point i felt burned out there was this summer like after i had done a lot of stuff to support IS 14 and big sur i was burned out and so i haven't really worked on that for a long time and so I, I really started again a couple of days ago um but that was necessary because if you do that if you work on that for all the time for almost a year you shouldn't do that <laughs> let me let me just say don't do that
0: Yeah, I felt pretty good about, like, realizing this, like, soon, basically. Um, And, yeah, especially given the fact that I will have time, right? Like, it's not a side project, like, after work. Like, Mm. I'm basically, like, doing this in between now.
1: So, Mm. yeah. I feel good about it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to um, how it evolves and what you can share in next episode about that. Wonderful. Mm. All right. Okay, so uh, let's end the after party. And uh, any wise words? Ooh. No. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Hmm. Well, we'll have
0: to work on this, I guess. Yeah. All right.